I want to I just read a couple verses to you that will set the pace of where we're going this morning. Just continue to stand with me for a moment. I'll let you sit in just one second. We're going to look in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. It's going to be a pretty familiar story. It's the story of David and Goliath, and I want you to see it from kind of a different point of view this morning, but I'm going to read verse 20 through 23 before we're seated. It says, Early in the morning David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. He loaded up and he set out as Jesse, his father, had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines, this is important, were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and he ran to the battle lines and he asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Do me a favor. Before you're seated, I want you to high five two people. Okay? And here's what you're going to do. In the spirit of the 1994 Mortal Kombat game. Y'all got that? In the spirit of 1990, not, not 2019, 1994 Mortal Kombat. High five two people and tell them this. Tell them, finish him. Do it for me real quick. High five two people. Tell them, finish him. Finish him. Finish him. Y'all enjoyed that a little bit too much. How, how many of you remember playing uh, 1990 video games? Y'all remember playing? Never lost a battle. <laughs> when it comes to Super Mario Brothers, I never lose a battle. You know, it's so funny. I continue to watch the games that kids are playing today, and I compare them to the games I played growing up. And there's such a big difference, you know what I mean? And, and here's probably the biggest difference that I've recognized is with our games, there was a strategy, right? Like you had that, you, there was a strategy that you had to have to be able to win the game. Like you weren't just breaking bubbles, you know what I mean? Like there was a strategy. If you were Mario, you know, you had to go and get the, the, the mushroom and you had to get the feather tail so you could fly. And then there were times where there were like invisible things in the air and if you just happened to know it, right? It's my Super Mario Brothers OGs, y'all are with me. Thank you, Crystal. You know, and if you knew it was there, you could hit this like cloud and this little uh, vine thing would come out. You know, y'all remember that, right? And then there were those boards where it was the long fire sticks and you had to, you had to choose exactly the right time to run because if you ran too early then the little stick would hit you and he'd be like you know he would like freeze and fall out of the ground like there was a strategy behind it you know what I mean Donkey Kong come on we any Donkey Kong fans in the house there's a strategy you had to have your little brother with you and you had to roll the barrel and you had to you know you had to know you're on the vine and if you jump from the vine too early you'd miss the other vine and you'd fall and hit the ground and so there was a strategy behind it Mortal Kombat. We got Mortal Kombat fans in here. I know uh, a little bit. There's a strategy, right? You, you had to know that, you know, the up, down, down, up, baby, A, B, B, C, B, B, A, right? And then they would do this like, you know, dude, dude, dude he'd be moving, <laughs> finish him. You know what I mean? Then it was like this awesome, there was strategy behind it. And now we're, they're just, kids are just doing this. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm collecting bananas. Like, there's no strategy behind that. Like, you should have to jump and slide and dive and like, there should be a strategy, and I want to talk to you for a second this moment, this morning about, about a strategy because in case you're visiting with us this morning, first of all, welcome. So glad to have you here. We have been for the past couple of weeks talking about culture and what we thought was going to be a one Sunday sermon has now turned into a three-week series and, and it's really been hitting us as a church, I think, and then also us personally. 
And, and I don't normally, or I put it this way, I have never before compared David and Goliath to the concept of establishing culture. Like, I've, I've never really made those connections scripturally or theology, you know, theologically. Um, but there was this one verse that I'm going to share at the end of the message today that, that kind of took me on this thought pattern. And, and then the more I studied 1 Samuel 17, which is the main meat story of David versus Goliath, the more and more I saw a, a good parallel between the way we handle culture and uh, the battle between David and Goliath. And so I thought, man, the more I read it, I'm like, there's a strategy here. There's, there's an actual strategy in 1 Samuel 17 that if we will take it upon, upon, ourse- uh, upon ourselves, it can become the strategy that we use to kill the bad culture in our lives. Because that's what's happening right now, is, is we all want good culture. Who in here wants a good marriage? Anybody here want a good marriage? Who in here wants a horrendous marriage? You just want marriage to be horrible. <laughs> Jennifer, it's all right. We know what's happening. But Jennifer's like, I'm sorry. I was drinking coffee. I wasn't listening. What did you say? Um, <laughs> how, how many of you want your kids to grow up serving the Lord? Right? It's funny. Even if we don't serve the Lord, we want our kids to grow up to serve the Lord. Right? How many of you want your kids to be addicted to drugs and homeless? Okay. Just making sure. Because we all want good culture. But we're fighting against bad culture. And over the past couple of uh, weeks, what we've been talking about is how to protect and establish and create and, and correct the current culture we're facing and, and create this good culture. And, and, and here's what was so interesting about that. I don't know if you caught it. I tried to uh, bring it out to your attention when we were reading. Is it said that the Israelites would, would run up and they would draw a line. Do you see that? They, they would draw a line right here. And so what they would do is they would run up to this, but they would draw a line and they would shout their, their war cry, which was a cry that established God as the God of their life. And this is what we're doing. We're drawing a line. I'm drawing a line in my marriage. I'm drawing a line in my family, with my kids, with my finances, with my standards, with my dating life, everything. I'm just drawing a line, and I'm shouting God culture. It's what I want. This is what, this is, this is what I want. I'm trying right now to draw lines in, in our family, Darla and I, and one of the lines that we've recently wanted to draw was our daughter, our oldest daughter, having a cell phone. And, and we really didn't want her to have one. We, we didn't want her to have one for a long time. And we, were, we, and we were drawing, you know, it was like, all right, we're drawing this line. And we're shouting, you won't get a cell phone until this age, da 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 And then Saturday, she's, she does archery, and we went to an archery tournament and there was a girl, she couldn't have been seven or eight years old. And she was those girls shooting the arrows beside her. And she had her, her iPhone with her pop socket out of her back pocket. It was like a $1,000 iPhone about to fall out of her little pocket. And, I, and I'm like, man, you've got, you've got me shouting one thing. And then you've got society defying what I'm shouting. Right? And that's what we just read. Is that they're drawing a line and shouting one thing. Ah! And then you've got... Goliath, something bigger than him, something bigger than you, defying what it is you're trying to establish. And we can be all excited all we want, and we can get up and go, "Woo! I'm going to change my culture. Culture shift. You know, we can, do, we can do all those things, but if we leave out of here without a strategy, we're going to lose. And the thing that's bigger than us is going to beat us, and that culture will eventually overtake the culture that we want, and we'll find ourselves in our family, in our marriage, in our finances, in our job life with a culture that we don't want. And that culture will ultimately kill us. And so if you'll give me just a few moments this morning, I want to share with you out of 1 Samuel 17 some strategy points 
on how you and I can officially kill the bad culture that's defying the God culture. And here's number one. Number one, we have got to choose our battles. Choose your battles. Now, let me explain. There's a strategy in marriage (laughs) or with your kids that people will tell you that's called choose your battles, right? Like, there's just certain things you just need to let go. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you don't like the way that your wife loads the dishwasher, let it go. At least they load the dishwasher. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there are just some things that you shouldn't fight. There are some battles you should never even engage in. And then there are some battles that actually matter. And so there are things that my wife does that I shouldn't really focus on. You know what I mean? Like, like she sometimes leaves her clothes in the bathroom floor. And I'm not going to lie to you. It makes me a little mad. But, but I wouldn't, like, talk about it or bring it up. I'm not petty. You know what I mean? I wouldn't, like, make it a big deal. But I'm just saying, there's just some battles that I should choose not to fight. Because for every battle that, that I point out on her, she's going to point out on me, right? So there's just some battles that I should just choose not to fight. I want to show you something that's happening in 1 Samuel with David that I thought was so interesting. And I've never quite looked at this verse this way, but if you'll bear with me, I think it'll be pretty profound for your life. It says, David asked the men standing near him, this is verse 26 and 27, same chapter. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? What will be done for the guy who gets rid of the bad culture and establishes God culture, right? And then watch this, verse 28. When Eliab, his brother, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and he asked, why have you come down here? So David is already, David is taking orders on the rewards that he's going to get from killing Goliath. Like, which daughter am I going to get? Right? Like, how's this going to happen? Because the question is not if I'm going to kill him. The question is, what are you going to give me when I kill him? David is confident. It's like some of y'all leaving out of here last Sunday. You were confident. We're changing this. Two Sundays ago, I'm stopping this. This is, this is going to stop. You were confident. And all of a sudden, here comes this little voice, right? Here comes Eliab with this little voice. Who do you think you are? And the more I thought about this, watch this. The little voice was not just a little voice. It's a little voice from within his army. And it's not just a little voice from within his army. It's a little voice within his family. And here's the question I want to know. Am I the only one who has to fight the battle in me before I can ever fight the battle in front of me? Before I can face the enemy, I've got to fight what's in a me. There's a choice, y'all, that I have to make. Which battle am I going to fight? The battle that's in front of me or the battle that's happening from the little voice within me? Because there's a little voice that's going on right up here. In case you can't really see it, it unfortunately doesn't come up on the PowerPoint screen. But there's this voice that happens. When I'm preaching, there's this voice. That's happening right here. And what David has to do, David has to make a choice. And here's David's choice. Do do I fight the voice within or do I fight the enemy that's in front? And that's the question that you and I have to answer right off the bat. Which battle do you choose to fight? The voice that's within or the fight that's in front? I'm telling you, something bad happens up here, y'all. Like, can I just have, can I have a confessions of a pastor moment for a second? Like, will y'all just allow me to be on your couch for one second? Get your pen and paper out and be ready. All right, I've got, something's wrong up here. It's just wrong. It, it, there's just, this is like a, you know, you ever been in an escape room? 
My mind is like an escape room. You know what I mean? It's just you got to cut wires to get out of there. It's just, it's just weird. It's so weird. Let me, let me tell you how weird it is. I, I can be preaching and can be just, you know, you'll be amening and standing up and shouting, and I'll catch one person's face. You know what I mean? And, and for some reason, I just happened to catch them when, like, their back was hurting, so they leaned back a little bit, and they crossed their arms because they were popping their back. But I catch it right then, and I'm like, oh, they don't like what I'm saying. They don't like how tight my pants are. They don't like that I look like a cow trying to get free chicken sandwiches from Chick-fil-A with my shirt. And I just start, like I, like I spilled white out on my shirt, and I just start processing all this. And, I'm, and then, like, I'll be preaching, and someone will get up to go to the bathroom because their bladder has taken, they've tried to hold it on, and they're, like, they're about to lose that battle. You know what I'm talking about? And they're like, I got to go to the bathroom. And they're like, I don't want to be rude, but I got to go to the bathroom. And so they get up, but I see them get up, and I'm like, oh, I said shift one too many times. You know what I mean? Like, like did, did I mess up? Did I replace the F and T? I don't know. Did I? And, so I, and they're going. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And then I don't see them. And they don't shake my hand after service. And I'm like, oh, they hate the church. And they hate me. And then they're going to go and they're going to leave a Yelp review. And the Yelp review is going to be bad. And all of the Dream Team members are going to agree with them and think that I'm a loser. And they're all going to leave the church. And then the church is going to close down. And then I'm going to be poor. And my kids aren't going to be able to eat. And Darla's going to say, you're no longer cool. I'm going to leave you too. And my mind, it just, it just, do you do this? Does anybody have an imagination like me where it's one little thing and you're just, you know, your boss sends you an email and says, we need to meet. And you're like, I'm fired. You're like putting in applications at other restaurants just trying to, hey, here's the deal. My, my boss called a meeting. You call your wife or your husband. And you're like, here's the deal. We're gone. We're done. Sell the house. Sell the bed. Sell the, sell the kids. Do whatever you can do. Like, we're not going to be able to eat because I've lost my job. And then you get in a meeting and the boss is like, I just wanted to say you're doing a great job. And it's like, oh, oh. You know what I mean? Like, you're, in, you're on the couch and your spouse is on their cell phone. And you're like, I bet they're on Facebook. I bet they're looking at pictures of guys with abs better than mine. <laughs> and your mind just goes, you know what I'm saying? It's like I bet you they dated them in high school, probably talking to them every night. And you look over, and they're literally breaking bubbles. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just can't, crushing candy all day. Like, your mind is just, is it just me? Okay, I just want to, because if it's just me, I'll leave right now, and I'll just go have a counseling session. Carrie, take me away. You know what I mean? It's just it's one of those things. But, but if it's true that we're all like this, then, then I'm starting to realize that I'm right about this and watch. And often we don't have the energy to fight the enemy because we've exhausted engaging our imagination. You ever been there? Like, I don't have the energy to, to correct the culture in my marriage because I've already convinced myself up here that my marriage has no way of living. Right? I've already walked it through up here. Well, this is not, he's never going to say, he's never going to want to change. And so because he never wants to change, it's not going to happen. And so that's going to happen, I'm not even going to try. Like, like that, that, that's the process that we go through. Like, well, well, I want to change the culture from my kids, but I've already lost the battle up here because I start to compare them to other kids up here. And I just start to realize that maybe my kid is just disobedient. And so you know what? The last time I tried, it didn't work either. So I won't even try. And we lose the battle up here. So we never actually fight the battle out there, right? I, I want to change the culture of my finances, but the last time I tried that, that bill came out of nowhere, and I was worse off than I was before that, and what's even the point in trying? And what I'm learning that I want you to learn is that often the first battle that has to be fought is the thought. And I got to be able to choose which battle I'm going to use my energy on. Because I get so caught up in here 
that I don't ever actually get it out here. And we say things like this, well, I'd love to see change, but it's not going to happen in my house. Won't happen with my spouse. That'll never work with my kids. What's happening? You're losing the battle up here, so you're refusing to fight the battle out here. And the thoughts that you accommodate will eventually determine the culture that you allow. And you're allowing a certain culture because you've lost the battle in your thoughts. And so instead of actually standing up, like we said week one, standing up and getting the whip out, you don't even get the whip because you think, what's the point? Am I still able to be transparent with you for a moment? Am I still on your couch? Are you still billing me at this moment as we speak? Uh, you're supposed to, yeah, okay. Um, I, the, the older I get, the more, the more I realize that my little voice has a culture. Let me explain. You ask some of the people who are the closest to me. Ask my wife. Uh, I have an individual. I won't, I won't put his name out there because I don't want y'all to start calling him and asking him for, for tea in 2019. That's gossip. Um, but I have an individual who every two weeks meets with me and just kind of counsels me over lunch. Just so so he, he, knows, he knows what goes on in here. And he still comes to church here, which is really cool to think that he still loves me and he knows what goes on in here. And I think he would tell you that this is also the culture that, that is up here because I'm starting to believe that everybody's inner voice has a culture. See, I, I know you have an inner voice. That's not my question. I, you got an inner voice operating right now. Right now, it's like, where are we going to eat? I don't know. Where are we going? Is Oh Charlie's Rolls good this time of the year? It's cold. It's, an inner, it's just an inner voice going. So I know you have an inner voice, but now I'm learning that the inner voice has a culture. And the same culture that my inner voice has was the same culture that the little voice that was talking to David had. Now watch this. Go ahead and throw that verse back up there in verse 7. Watch this. And with, this is Eliab talking. And with whom did you leave, watch this, those few sheep with? Who, who did you, you know that, that little thing you're doing? Who did you leave that with? Then he goes on to say, I know how conceited you are. I know how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. The message paraphrase called says, you, you came here only to watch a bloodbath. Watch this. The culture of Eliab's words are the same culture of my inner voice, and it's a culture of insignificance. Just, it's just always playing in my mind. Just, you see that? Those few sheep that you have, you're just, you're insignificant. You don't, you don't have enough. You can't do enough. You're not good enough. Do you have a culture of not enough in your head? Let me prove to you. How, many sleep, how much sleep did y'all get last night? How much? Not enough. How much money do you have right now? Not enough. That inner voice has a culture. And I'm starting to realize for me that, that everything that happens in my life processes through this inner voice first. And so when I think about my marriage and how incredible my wife is, there's moments where I start to think I'm insignificant and that I can't be the husband she needs, and that's what's going on in here. And if I don't win the battle in here, I'll never operate right out here. I won't do things because I'll think, what's the point? I'm insignificant, right? I'll start thinking about my kids and going, I don't have what it takes to be a good dad. 
I could already tell you a thousand things I've messed up on. And so the inner voice is telling me, yeah, you're not doing good enough. You're not doing good enough. You're not doing good enough. And because the inner voice is telling me that, it starts to affect the way I operate out. Right? And sometimes I get so caught up in fighting the battle in here that I don't even engage the battle out there. Could you imagine how different this story would have been if David would have engaged Eliab instead of Goliath? We're not preaching about this story anymore if that's the case. Those of you that went to Sunday school, you're not putting David and Goliath on the felt board if that's the case. For example, I'll show you. All right, so you're reading 1 Samuel 17, and you're getting ready to encourage the church, and here's how the story goes. David was asked by his father to take bread and cheese to the battlefield, and so the newly anointed king takes the bread, and he goes to the battlefield, and he hears the cry of Goliath, and he says, I will take out Goliath, and he walks over and says, to what will be awarded to me when I kill thee, thy, though, giant? And they start to say, and Eliab says, why are you here and where are your little sheep? And the mighty David goes, Eliab, stop. Don't, no, you stop. Stop talking about me. I'm going to go tell dad. How many of you have more than one kid right now? You have more than one kid. First of all, Lord, we pray right now (laughs) that you would give us all peace and free babysitters until they're all 18 in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. But you know, y'all, y'all have lived this story, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where, where one kid's trying to talk to you and the other kid does something and they're like, Veda! Stop, Veda! Veda! And like, that's where we go for the next hour and a half. We're on that road. You know what I mean? Like, was it really that big of a deal? If David engages Eliab, he never engages Goliath. And if we engage this battle, we'll never fight that battle. So we have to learn to choose which battle we're going to fight. And I'm telling you right now, get out of this one. Get out of it. It's it's never going to do you any good until you change the culture up here. Paul was writing a letter to the church in Rome, and he's addressing culture. That's what he's addressing. And in chapter 12, verse 2, he pins these words that I thought are pretty interesting. He says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. That's what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. Don't, don't take on their culture, for their culture is not good for you. Don't take on their culture. But instead of taking on their culture, let God transform you into a new person. Great. Let's do it. How does that happen? How does it happen? By changing the way you think. So hear me. The strategy to changing the culture in your life begins with the way you think. If you think you can't change it, you're right. If you think you can, you're right. If you'll win the battle up here, then you can actually win the battle out here. Amen? So first you have to choose your battle. Now watch this. Now you have to choose what's true. You have to choose your truth. 
Now, let me set this up because this is where I think we're about to have church today. And go ahead and, go ahead and warm your joints up. Do like this for me. Go ahead and warm your arms up. Those of you who've never been to Victory Church before, shake your legs up a little bit because I've been hearing people say, man, I've been wanting to stand up and run. You might run here during this. Here, stretch. Go ahead and get a little, little, little uh, pelican stance or whatever they, I don't know what yoga is. And so I want, I want to walk you through what happens with David now. So David wins this battle. The Bible says that he turned away from Eliab, okay? So he did an about-face, veterans. He did an about-face and turned away from Eliab, and he won this battle. Now, now he's facing Saul, all right? Watch this. uh, Chapter 17, 32 and 33. David says to Saul, hey, let no one lose heart on this Philistine, for I'll go and fight him. Confidence again. I'm going to go whoop this trick, right? That's whoop the trick, whoop the, you know, okay. I'm sorry. See what I'm talking about? Now somebody's leaving the church. The church is going to close down. You know what I mean? Troy, why did you? Uh, Pastor Brian, every Sunday is like, why did you say that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus still working on me. Anyway, um, Saul replies, this is so good. Saul replies, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. Oh, my bad. Like, David, stop. You can't go fight him. Why, Saul? Because You are only a young man. You're right. I forgot. I was all caught up in the emotion, and you were talking about you're giving your daughter away, and I don't have to pay taxes anymore. And I was like, let's go, right? Let's just fight him. But I totally forgot. I'm a young man, and he, he being Goliath, has been a warrior since youth. So David is all pumped and excited. Because he's won the battle within, right? And then he has to face Saul. Watch this. He won the battle against the lies. Now he has to fight the battle against the truth. Because in here was a lie. You're conceited. You're wicked. No, he's not. You're insignificant. No, I'm not. You'll never have enough. That's not true. She doesn't love you. That's not true. He doesn't love. That's not true. My kid will never. That's not true. These were the lies. You fought the lies. But once you fight the lies, now you got to face the truth. And I can't fight lies like I fight truth. Right? Saul says to David, Man, you're young. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And how do I win a battle when there's truth in my shortcomings? I want to change the culture in my marriage, but y'all are divorced. That's true. I want to change the culture in in my marriage, but y'all aren't living together because y'all fought, because there was an affair, that's, that's true. I, I really want to get off this, I really want to get off this addiction, but, 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 you know, here's, but there's a pound of it, or I don't know the, the, the weight, but, but you've got enough at your house to continue it, and that is true. There, there, there's just truth, Right? I really want to change the culture in my finances. Yeah, but your bank account is already in negative. That's true. There's there's truth here. I want to change the culture with my kids. 
Yeah, but they've already told you they want nothing to do with you. That's true. And I think this is where I struggle the most and where I feel like we need to have church today is that oftentimes I don't really know how to fight truth. More than that, I think we're being told today to fight truth with cliches, especially Christians. You know what I mean? Like David looked at, the, at Goliath and other people were saying he was too big to beat. And David looked at him and said, he's too big to miss. Hallelujah. Can I get a praise? So the next time you want to fight truth, hit him with a cliche. If God brought you to it, God will bring you through it. Hallelujah. You know, like, what? What is that even? You can't outgive God. I, I, huh? Like, break that down for me. Just because it rhymes doesn't make it right. You know what I mean? Show me a Bible that's falling apart, and I'll show you a life that isn't. Like that, oh, that's great. That's cute. Thank you. Appreciate that. Some of you, honestly, we were in here singing, you never lost a battle. And you were sitting there going, you seldom lost a battle. Because there was a battle in your life that you felt like he lost. Because the person you were praying for wasn't healed. Because the thing you were asking for didn't happen. And so to you, that was a battle lost. And so when Christians get up and go, he never lost a battle, you're sitting there going, I, that, it's rhymes, but it's not right. Because it's hard to fight truth with a cliche. Right? You can do small things. You can do small, because he's done a few little things, but, but this big thing he hasn't done yet. And so you're really struggling fighting truth. You can fight the lies all day, but you're struggling fighting truth because all you've got is a cliche. And what do you do when the cliche is cute, but it's no longer consistent? What do you do? How do you win a battle when all the evidence supports that you'll lose? Help me with that. See, I'm sorry, if you're visiting, you're like, normally we have a lot of fun here, we're laughing, but I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of leaving, letting you leave out of here with a cliche, and then you get home and you come face to face with truth, and you don't know how to fight truth. You know how to fight lies, because we understand that the enemy is the father of lies, and we understand that if he's speaking, it's got to be a lie. So we understand that, and we can fight that, but how do I fight truth? This happened in my life. It's true. It, it, it's, 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 not a it's not a meme. It's not a possibility. This is what I dealt with on the way to church, Troy. How do I fight it? What I struggle with is truth. When I sit down with the gentleman that counsels me, I, I have to just tell him, this is, look, this is what I struggle with. The stuff that I'm looking at, the stuff that I'm seeing is what I struggle with. And yet as a Christian, all you're going to hand me to fight it with is cliches? Does it make sense to me? The Bible says that Goliath was a giant. True. The Bible says that the giant was nine feet nine inches. True. Bible said that he had armor that would crush David if it was laid on him. True. Bible said he had a sword. True. Bible said he had been fighting since he was uh, in his youth. 
true. If this was me and I'm facing Goliath, can we just be honest for a second? If my issues over there, the culture that's going against my family and my life and my standards and my faith is over there, and I'm David and all that's true, I'm not sitting there with confidence loading up rocks. I'm loading rocks, and the whole time I'm loading rocks, my knees are weak, right? My arms are heavy. There's vomit on my sweater already. It's mom's spaghetti. I'm nervous, but on the surface, I look calm and ready to drop bombs, but he keeps on forgetting. What he, y'all don't know about that. Sorry. Sometimes the spirit of 1994 Troy just goes, and somebody's going to go to the bathroom. That's just, here's, here we go. I love you. Hope to see you next week. But David is not that way. Somebody help me. Can, can we just get David in here for a second? Be like, how did you do that? How did you stand up against truth and fight it with so much confidence when all of the truth was against you? How do you stand up for God when they're talking about taking your house next week? How do you stand up for God when you've had conversations with your kid time and time and time again, and just when you think it's been overcome, it comes back? How do you face that? Well, I'll tell you how David did it. David was a three on the Enneagram. <laughs> had nothing to do with it. David faced truth, and he fought it. But watch, you ready? Here we go. He never once denied it. He doesn't deny it, and he doesn't argue it. He doesn't go, oh, I think he's more like nine foot three. <laughs> doesn't happen that way. Watch what David does. Uh, go, throw back up, 34, 37. David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried it off, a sheep from the flock, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You ready? Watch it. You ready? All my uh, school teachers that are here, especially you, Nikki. Get ready to hate my guts. <laughs> David doesn't deny truth. He just establishes that which is truer. You say, oh, that's really bad grammar. But it's great theology. You can hate the grammar, but don't hate on the theology. I want to teach you a phrase. Can I teach you a phrase? And, and, and literally carve this phrase on your heart. You ready? You ready? You ready for it over here? Okay. Y'all ready for it over here? Okay, they're more ready than y'all. It is also true. I'll be back. In case the speaker's not working. It, say it, it is also true. Say it is also true. Somebody's starting to catch it. Let's try it again. It is also true. All right, watch, watch. Let me put it in action for you. David, he's a giant. True. But one time when I was a shepherd, I was fighting a lion and a bear, and I killed the lion and the bear. Also true. David, he's been fighting since he was young, and you haven't. True. But the same God that rescued me from the lion and the bear 
will also rescue me from this stupid Philistine. It is also true. It is also true. Yes, I understand that what I'm facing is difficult. That's true. But my God will bring me through it. That is also true. You have to learn that it is also true. Okay, in case, you're, in case right now you're, you're a big-time theologian and you're into Greek and you're into Hebrew and you're into hermeneutics, or maybe you don't even know what hermeneutics is, you think that's a character on Third Rock from the Sun. All right, bear with me. I'm about to show you that I don't make this stuff up, all right? I would not leave you out of here with another cliche. Well, all he did was put down cliches and then give us another cliche, all right? I'm about to show you something that all of a sudden moves this from cliche to revelation, all right? You ready? Do you remember if you were here during At The Movies, I talked about how Jesus went into the wilderness and Satan tempted him while he was in the wilderness, okay? And there are multiple times where Satan tempts Jesus with Scripture, And Satan says this, it is written, it is written, it is written. Guess what that means he tempted him with? What did he tempt him with? Truth. So how does Jesus fight truth? Let me show you, Matthew chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Jesus answered him, what did Jesus say? It is also written. It is also true. I know something truer than your truth. It is also true. Yes, I've been through some stuff, but it is also true that I'm not in it alone. Yes, my finances are struggling, but it is also true that God will provide for me as long as I walk in the obedience that he's called me to be in. Yes, it's true that my kid has walked away from Jesus, but it is also true that he will chase after them like the prodigal. It is also true. Because if I'm not dead, then he's not. Right? Man, I wish I had like a little microphone that I could just drop. We need to get a microphone prop. If I'm not dead, then he's not done. How do you fight truth? With truth. But, hey, do you know... When it talks about the armor of God, those of you that are Bible scholars, um, what what do they refer to this as? Anybody know? Sword. So, So this is the weapon. This is the offensive weapon of Christianity right here. Every other weapon is defensive. Every other weapon is shielding. This is the only offensive weapon. So how do I fight truth with this? It's the only offensive weapon. But if I don't know what this says, then I can't fight truth with truth because I don't know what he said. And the reason why you have to read this every day isn't so that you can check it off or so that you can follow into some kind of club of Bible readers. Because guess what? The club of Bible readers are sinners just like you. The only thing they've learned is that there's one offensive weapon that God gave us and we better start picking it up. And when we pick it up and read it, we can learn what is also true. And when the enemy comes at you with something, listen, he'll come at you with lies all day and you can fight those easily. You know how I know? Because you're in church and you're mature enough to know how to fight lies. Where we struggle is when we have to fight truth. And I'm telling you, here's how you fight truth. It is also true. Well, truth, it is also true. Well, it is also true. If we would put this into motion, it will transform our lives. Because hear me, 
What you're going to do is you're going to leave here and want to change culture in your life. And the enemy is going to tell you truths that will prevent you from being able to change that culture. And if you don't know what's truer, you will go, well, I guess I can't change that because that actually happened. And God says it doesn't work that way. It is written. Jesus said, sucker. It is also written. So I told you there was a verse in this that got me. All, everything I've taught you at this point was secondhand. Wasn't even what made me want to preach this story to begin with. It just all kind of came out. Welcome to what I do for a living. What, what started me down this path was 1 Samuel 51. Sam, don't put it up yet. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 51. And the reason why it brought me down this road is because most of us start at first stop at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 50. Because most of us think that David killed Goliath with a rock. We, we've seen the story. We know the story. He takes the slingshot and whoo, shoom, and then it hits the giant. The giant falls. David's victorious. Ah! And that's why we teach this to our kids. It's like, it's so cool. David took a stone, and you can take a stone, and you can get it from the ditch, and you can throw it at the evil man, and it'll take him out. You know what I mean? Like, it's cute. But then when you read 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 51, the cuteness goes out the window. And now we wonder, why do we teach this to our kids? Because watch what this says. Go ahead, and, go ahead and throw up 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 51. It says, David ran and stood over him. So, so Goliath has been knocked down. David runs and stands over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. So he took Goliath's sword, drew it from the sheath. And then after it, he killed him by cutting off his head with the sword. Put that on a, uh, what's some things called? On oh, no, a felt board. Put that on a felt board. You got like food coloring with like the 3D blood. Like, ah, oh, he got off his head. Your kid will come on going, Mom, Dad, oh my God, victory's amazing. <laughs> Some of them. But when I read that, I just, you know, here's what I immediately went back to. Did any of y'all, since we're on 1994, um, did any of y'all watch scary movies back then? And I, look, if you're one of those people that's like, we don't, I, I, don't, I don't watch anything with demons because that's real. But, but, you know, when a dude can like, when he can be laying on the ground and I can run three miles and he appears in front of me, that's not real. Okay. And so uh, I used to watch some movies back in the day. I don't know if that was you. But one of them was Scream. It was a movie called Scream. They came out when I was young and it was a big deal. And there were other movies like this. And here was what they were kind of known for is at the end, the bad guy would die. But then what? He'd come back. It was like, like, he'd be dead. Like, they would, like, shoot him 37 times in the earlobe. You know what I mean? And then, like, he would, like, it'd be like, oh, yeah, he's dead. And you knew it. You'd be shouting at the, at the screen. You'd be like, don't turn around. And they would leave, and all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, pop out. And then they would actually shoot him in the head, what they should have done the first time. And you're like, Troy, you have, you have really gone off. Like, we were with you. We were shouting. If you're if, if not dead, he's not done. And then now we're screaming, and we don't know. Here was my question. Why not, just, why not just finish it to begin with? Why are we playing? Right? Why are we playing? We know he's going to get up. Just put one in the head from the beginning. And this is what I love about David. Is David didn't give Goliath the opportunity to get back up. David knew he stunned him. Most of us, when it comes to the culture changes we've been talking about making, we've stunned them. What David is saying is you need to walk over and finish the job. You need to cut off the head. Right? What's that old saying when you want something done? Cut off the head. Find that snake and cut off the head. 
That means finish him. Y'all need to learn up, down, down, A, B, B, C, B, B. And we need to finish this. Over the past three weeks, God has been speaking things to you in your life that you need to shift as a culture. And you've been playing with it. And in the spirit of David and in God's word, finish it. Stop. Say, this is done. Cut off the head. Because if you don't, he's going to get back up. And the Bible says when he gets back up, he's seven times stronger than the first time. David said, bro, (laughs) I didn't get five rocks that I could put you down five times. I put you down once and the head's about to come off. Amen? So look, next week we're shifting, y'all. We're shifting into into generosity and what God's going to do through our church and it's already done through our church and the next few weeks financially into our community. It's just going to be beautiful. We're going to have a great time. I'm going to be in a boat next Sunday, so you don't want to miss that, okay? I'm going to catch the woe. You'll see. Some of you are like, he's going to catch the what? What does that mean? Uh, but, but before we transition out of this, I want to challenge you to finish it. As your pastor, which I don't actually very often say, and it's because up here I'm insignificant. And so sometimes I don't speak out of the boldness that I know God's given me. And so today I'm going to win that battle and out of boldness, I'm going to tell you as your pastor, it stops today. It stops today. We're finishing it today. We're cutting it off today. So what does that look like? When you walked in, I gave uh, hope. You got a sheet of paper. If you didn't get a sheet of paper, if you'll just raise your hand, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll get you one. One over here, one right here. Host team, just a couple sheets. Go ahead and get it out. Our team, look at it, dream team running. I love it. Thank. Can we just give a high five to our dream team? A high five, a hand clap for our dream team. Always serving, jumping out of their seats. Listen, as we're getting ready for this, if you're in here and you've been coming to this church, we need you. We need you on the dream team. This church is growing we need kids to be taught the Bible. We need people to be in the parking lot waving because the culture shift starts in the parking lot. Starts in the, so somebody drove on this parking lot today and they wanted to change something in their life so bad, but they were fighting this battle up here. And when they saw James out there waving and smiling, something just started shifting. And that's the power that you have. And they came in, shook hands, and then somebody real beautiful and nice said, give me your kid. And they weren't like, Ugh. They were like, okay. And their kid was like, bye, mom. And then they came down the hallway, and they greeted everybody and shook hands, and you came in here, and the worship was incredible. And then this dude wearing a white-out shirt got up, and he's talking okay. And you know what? You, you, it's good. Go to Grow Track. Join the dream team, and let's get ready for what God's about to do in Smyrna, Tennessee. Amen? All right, back to you. You got your sheet? I want to give you four words that you're going to write. We also should have pens. If you don't have pens, raise your hand. Just keep your hand. Poor Pastor Brian is running around like a chicken with his head cut off. So just keep your hands up for a moment. I'm going to move forward with the words for those of you who have pens. Here's the four words. The first word is start. And then I want you to give some space. And I want you to write the word stop. And then I want you to give some space and write the word keep. And then I want you to give some space and write the word improve. Wow, I'm going to continue to let stuff get passed out. You know what's funny about our culture? Is that a lot of us are gearing up for what we want to change in January of 2020. And why would we let death keep going for a month and a half? And pretend like we're doing a good thing by waiting until January 1st. 
why don't we just cut the head off now? Because if what if in the next six weeks the giant gets up and kills you? Let's cut off the head now. So the first word is start. Here's what that is. What is something that you want to start in your culture? What is something you want to start? I'm going to give you, I, I've already done this for me, and I'm going to give you my answers. The thing that I want to start is I want to start praying with my wife. I do a lot of praying. And she's been asking me for years that we pray together. And I'm trying to learn insignificance. I'm trying to learn how to get over that. Now I've told you so you get to hold me accountable. That sucks. <laughs> something you want to start. Number two, something you want to stop. Stop it. Mine is eating unhealthy. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Jimmy's my fitness friend. I want to be like him one day. But hey, listen to me real quick. Just don't allow the enemy to tell you something. Well, his is unhealthy, so let me pull back from what God's telling me to actually stop. You hear me? If I told you what my stop was three years ago, it wouldn't be unhealthy eating. So don't, don't, don't let, mm, watch him, watch him. Win that battle right now. What is God calling you to stop? Third, it gets a little bit easier. What is God telling you to keep? Mine is my morning prayer time that I've shared with you where I walk in the gym for an hour and pray. I'm keeping that. That is so powerful in my life. It's life-changing. I'm keeping that. What are you doing that's working? Can we just praise God for a second? What are you doing that's working? Keep that, man. And then fourth is, what do you want to improve? In other words, it's not horrible, but it could be better. And that's my personal schedule when it comes to my family. I got I to gotta get better at that. I got to be at the dinner table with my kids more often. Because how can I create the right culture if that keeps losing out? Right? And listen, maybe it's not one, maybe it's ten things for you. That's fine. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not, not going to make you line up bring me your card bring condemnation on every person that's not how Jesus works to me this is your moment of you admitting God I need your help I need your help when you wrote it on the paper you won this battle you won that battle now you've got to apply the truth to the things on that piece of paper and you've got to declare that God is going to help you through it Worship team, I want to invite you up because we're going to put an exclamation point on these cards with that song one more time. When they get done, Pastor Brian will come up. Anybody in here who you want to give your heart to the Lord this morning, he's going to give you that opportunity. But Here's what I would like to do for you that are writing on those cards. I think it would be a great moment of declaration. You got a card on you? You got one on you, Miss Amber? Thank you. This isn't your, okay, good. I was like, I don't want to be, hey, look at Amber. Uh. If you're not careful, this will look like a giant. Man, I can't do all that. And it'll look like something that you can't defeat. 
And you've got to remember that your God has never lost a battle. Can I tell you something? I've lost some battles. I'm about 35, 46, and 1. I got a tie somewhere in there. I just know it. God is the LSU Tigers. You know what I mean? He's just undefeated. Thank you, two of you. That's for you, Paul. He's undefeated. He's never lost a battle. But there has to be a moment where you're making a declaration that, God, I need you to help me win this battle. Can we do that this morning? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just stand with me around this place. Hopefully you've written on your card. Fold it. Do whatever you need to do to it. The reason why we wanted to give you it like this is so that you could put it somewhere where you would remember it. Darla likes to tape stuff to the mirror in our bathroom whenever she's trying to remember something. That's where it goes. So a lot of times it's like, do this better. I'm just kidding. It's not what it is. But I wanted you to be able to take it with you. But to me, the exclamation point is a moment where you're praying and asking God to be able to help you win this battle. And can I just tell you this? If what you wrote down is not a battle, then you need to rewrite. It should be hard. It should be difficult. It should be something that Jimmy's going to have to come up to me next week and go, did you eat better? No. But man, what a moment to just be able to say, God, I need your help with this. Can we do that? So I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, they're going to take us back into that song. And just with however you would do it, with your heart, with tears, whatever it looks like for you, I just pray that you would sing out, worship, and pray, God, help me win this battle. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that your word is true and that no matter what I'm facing, Lord, your word is truer. And that no matter what I'm dealing with, God, you're able to give me the strength and the ability to get through it. And today I pray that as every one of us lift up to you battles that we're facing, cultural battles, battles that if we lose, it could mean very badly for our family and for our future. And God, there are hurting people in here. That battle they're already in and they're losing it. And God, they need you. And I just pray this would be a moment between them and you. A moment where they pray and they ask, God, help me win these battles. And then God, with it, we glorify and we praise your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.